The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I created a program called Healed Being over at healedbeing.com. Most of the people that join want to learn how to show up as the absolute best version of themselves in all their relationships. That way they know they're doing everything they can to make things work. Healed Being is not just a program helping people stop hurting those they love. It's an entire course in building the perfect relationships. If this sounds like something you'd like to learn more about, get the first four lessons for free over at HealedBeing.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani and I want to help you learn the skills you need to deal with life's challenges in the most emotionally intelligent way. If you're wondering just what that means, I look at it this way. When life throws a challenge at you, what are ways to respond to that challenge that result in the least amount of stress and overwhelm? Doesn't mean we can always do it, but I'm hoping I can give you the best chance possible to come out of every challenge maybe a bit more empowered, or at least not losing your power, not succumbing or submitting to some toxic element or person that might be challenging you. So that's what I do here. I I try to help you through the challenges in, uh, I would say, the healthiest way, the, the most emotionally intelligent way, like I said, and a way so that when you come out of it, you know you can do it. You know that you can handle this if it happens again or when it happens again. And um, it's just one of those things that you just have to build upon as you go. And my disclaimer, this show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. And one of my personal challenges was boundaries. I spent my entire life not, first of all, knowing about boundaries, personal boundaries, And second of all, when I knew what I would or wouldn't accept from people and in life in general, uh, I still didn't enforce those boundaries. I did not honor myself and uh, keep bad elements out of my life, or at least unacceptable elements out of my life. For example, someone yells at me, they're being disrespectful. In the past, I would maybe cower I would uh, try to get out of that situation. I would be afraid. And sometimes there's legitimate reasons to be afraid of somebody that might be yelling at you. But I I felt like I needed to uh, maybe stay away from that person. And sometimes that is a good choice. But sometimes (laughs) I really wanted to say, you need to back off. You are being disrespectful and you need to back off. So that is something that I had to 
create or work on in my life and then build upon. I say create because I didn't have boundaries before that period of time. This was around maybe 2008. Yeah, it's over a decade ago, but still not that long ago because in 2008, I was almost 40. You'd think that by 40, (laughs) you'd be able to take care of yourself and honor yourself and not have a problem with boundaries. But I did, and I learned at a very young age that when you honor yourself, you are likely to incite bad behavior from uh, dysfunctional people. So I didn't want to incite bad behavior in my childhood around the alcoholic in the family, so I learned how to be a people pleaser instead. And what I've learned is that people pleasing is pretty much the opposite of honoring yourself uh, as far as boundaries are concerned. Because you have boundaries that tell people that you will or won't accept certain behaviors, certain actions, certain words. And when they are aware of those boundaries, hopefully they honor them, but sometimes they don't. And what do you do when they don't? Now you're talking about conflict aversion if you don't deal with it. I don't want to deal with that. I I want to avoid confrontation. So I, I will let that be, I will walk away, or I just won't deal with it. And again, this is where you have to pick your battles wisely. Some people aren't worth talking to <laughs> or talking with, communicating with, arguing with. Sometimes they are who they are, and they'll never, ever change. And it's just not worth trying to tell them, hey, I have boundaries, back off. Sometimes you just have to avoid them and walk away. And then sometimes you can say things like, hey, you're disrespecting me, will you please stop that? Or I demand that you stop that. I like to say, look, you're being disrespectful, please back off. I say something like that. Fortunately, as you develop your boundaries, as they get stronger and stronger, you build upon your practice of them, you build upon the foundation that you create inside yourself by honoring your boundaries, by enforcing them in the first place, then what ends up happening is you feel so confident inside yourself because you have created a structure in your life. You are creating the structure of your life. And this is what boundaries do. They help you create a structure in your life. They help you uh, define yourself in the world amongst other people. So when other people come along, and they see this structure in front of them, (laughs) they see you, they see all parts of you, they feel all parts of you, they can detect your micro-movements, you know, unconsciously, and they can tell who you are at a quick glance. And that quick glance can be what causes them to treat you in a certain way for now and forever. So when you are with or around someone like this, it is helpful to have a a good first impression so that they don't cross the line. Now, this doesn't mean it always happens. This doesn't mean that everyone picks up on every signal. And this doesn't mean that people can read your mind. (laughs) They don't know what you're thinking, but they might might see your nonverbal body language and figure out who you are. This is the stuff that we're not conscious of, typically. You walk around... You're not very conscious of 
how you're presenting yourself, even when you're conscious of how you're presenting yourself. And the reason I say that is because I walked around with an air of confidence. Like I felt I was showing the world my confidence. I felt like I was walking tall, standing tall, and uh, everyone knew that I was confident. But I was so scared inside. I felt like I was showing that. And a lot of people didn't detect that inside me until they crossed a boundary. Now, I didn't know what my boundaries were back then, at least before maybe my 30s. I was just starting to learn about boundaries and understand them. And then the next step would be to enforce them. And I had to get over my fear of confrontation as well. So what ends up happening is that the more you do that, the more you feel good inside yourself because you're honoring yourself and you just feel it inside and out and it comes through in your body language and in the way you speak. Like the way I'm speaking now, I believe that it sounds confident and someone listening to me might think, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about or at least he sounds like he knows what he's talking about and I hope I do. <laughs> but what I'm talking about today, I pretty much know about because I've done the work. I went from zero boundaries, zero enforcement of those boundaries, to no problem enforcing them, even at the risk of consequence. And I teach that on other episodes. We can talk about that another time. But uh, I wanted to come back to my original point I was trying to make, which was uh, when people cross my boundaries. So I was walking around with confidence, feeling good inside myself, feeling like I couldn't be agitated <laughs> very easily. Like nothing really bothered me until, like I was saying, someone crossed a boundary. And at that point, I didn't know how to handle myself. I had no skills. I had uh, coping mechanisms, but my coping mechanisms told me to hide. My coping mechanisms told me to neutralize the situation, be the peacekeeper. Because that's what people pleasers do. They try to keep the peace. And that would be what I would do. I would try to keep the peace. I, would, I have talked myself out of at least two fights in my life, two very scary situations because of my diplomacy skills. Diplomacy skills can be learned very easily when you're a people pleaser because you are constantly trying to figure out what makes someone tick, what makes someone happy what will bring about the most peace in someone's life, what brings them the most comfort. This is why many dysfunctions can be your superpower as well. It's just that we need to use them as superpowers, not dysfunctions. We don't want to create more toxic stuff in our lives. But this is how I walked around. I felt confident until somebody crossed my boundaries, and then I uh, didn't know how to handle it. So there was a time that I finally decided that I needed to do something about this conflict aversion that I was walking around with. I really needed to work on myself because when my boundaries were crossed, I ended up getting more of what I didn't want in life. We don't want what we don't want in life. We want what we want in life. And I was really getting tired of being this scared little boy. And when I was married, my wife really helped me understand this. She said, you know, I feel like I'm married to a little boy. And I thought, what? <laughs> I feel like a man. But I was. I was a little fearful child in a relationship with a woman. 
a mature woman and I was, I guess I was immature. I was going to say I'm not immature, but I was immature in a lot of ways and I was also fearful. I was fearful of honoring myself. Instead of saying what I wanted, I would ask for permission. There are times where, where yes, you maybe have to ask a loved one for permission to do something, but that was me all the time. Hey, do you mind if I do this? Hey, would it be okay if I did this? Hey, do you mind if I have a snack before dinner? I'm an adult. I should be able to make decisions like that. And I was too afraid. I was just worried that I might upset someone. So that's who I was. But I, I realized after she said that, uh, I guess I realized it because she said that, I realized that I needed to change something about myself. I needed to work on myself. And I needed to stop fearing the consequences. Because what we make up in our mind as consequences is typically what motivates us on our next decision or behavior. So I was making stuff up like, oh boy, if I say what I want, she's going to leave me. If I tell my boss that they're being disrespectful, they're going to fire me. If I say this to this person, they're going to punch me in the face. This is my thought process. This is what we do. We create these fantasy scenarios that may or may not happen. And after having tested many, many scenarios, uh, according to my boundaries, where someone crossed a line, I decided to stand up for myself and say something, honor my boundaries. Every time I did so, the scenario that I thought would unfold did not. There is a lesson in there. Every time you make something up, you cause yourself to do behavior that is in alignment with what you made up. If you are thinking that something horrible is going to happen, you are going to take steps to make sure that that horrible thing doesn't happen. Typically, this is what we do. We make something up that we fear might or we believe will happen, and then we do things to make sure that it doesn't happen. This is the formula for anxiety. If you are feeling anxious, it's because you're making stuff up that may or may not happen. What I have learned, and this is what I'm trying to convey in this segment, is that when we uh, do the thing that we fear might lead to a consequence that we don't want, you will find out what the consequence is so that you will have a reference. Because we walk around with so little, so few references. If you walk around with so few references, you're going to make stuff up. I don't have a reference for what somebody does when I tell them they're being disrespectful. That was me. I didn't have a reference for what uh, somebody does when I say, hey, you're being disrespectful, you need to back off. So what do I need to do? I need to take a leap of faith. I need to jump into that scary chasm that seems to have no bottom or the bottom is uh, going to kill me. I'm going to jump into that chasm and uh, see what happens. That's what I decided to do. And it was scary. Every time I did this, or at least at the beginning, every time I honored myself, I believed that the fantasy scenario, well, it was a scenario, not a fantasy when I did it, that the scenario that I made up in my head was absolutely going to happen. That was my fear. I knew that what I was thinking and making up in my head, because I didn't think I was making it up, I believed it to be true, I knew that was going to happen. So I went into situations knowing the future 
and then being pleasantly surprised when that future didn't play out. I walk into my boss's office and he starts yelling and I say, you're being disrespectful. And uh, then he doesn't fire me. You know, this is a, a scenario that I've made up in the past. And when he didn't fire me, I thought, wow, I can actually speak my mind and have an adult conversation with somebody and they're not going to go off the handle and try to change my life, fire me, get rid of my income. What? <laughs> I didn't get it. I didn't understand that that's how life worked. Most of the time, this is how life works. And yes, sometimes life does play out the scenario that you made up in your head. That doesn't mean you're psychic. and It could, maybe. <laughs> but it typically doesn't play out the way we make it up to be when we make things up that are based on fear. Like if you make up a scenario that is based on fear, then what ends up happening is you make something up that's uh, going to motivate you to not take the steps that you might need to take. I didn't word that right, but you know what I mean. It's like if I made up the scenario that when I get into my car, I'm going to crash, I'll never want to get in my car. So I am making something up that I fear that causes me not to get into my car. And some people have this fear. I get it. I get it, especially if they have a reference that the last time they get into their car or some few times that they've gotten into their cars, they've gotten into accidents. Those are references that I can understand will give you PTSD. PTSD is remembering the past as if it's happening now, uh, almost as if you can't get past the fear of it happening again. Well, not almost, but definitely. You can't get past the fear of it happening again. That's what I mean by references. When you can reference something in the past and tell yourself, oh, this is what happened before, it's probably going to happen again or it's guaranteed to happen again. And when you live like that, when you believe it's going to happen again, this is where life, uh, it slows down and you're not getting what you want and you're living in a place of fear. But this is where the chasm comes into play the chasm that we take a leap of faith into and find out if what we fear is actually true. And yes, you might have to do something that you fear and it actually comes true and then do it again and find out if it comes true again. That's what this is all about sometimes. Sometimes things do come true. Sometimes they are so awful to deal with, but we have to deal with it. But this is also what helps us learn what not to do next time. Gee, every time I take a right turn at that corner, someone smashes into me. Maybe I'll stop a little longer and take a little longer to look left and right before I go again. That's a minor example, and you're probably going to do that anyway. But if you keep getting into a car accident at the same corner, every time you get into a car, then something needs to change. Something needs to change, which means you have learned where the accidents are and when they happen and how they happen because you've gone through it many times. And hopefully this isn't true. But I know for some people, <laughs> the bad stuff keeps happening repeatedly. I keep getting into a bad relationship. This is what I hear a lot. I keep getting into bad relationships. Um, I'm doing something wrong. Yes, there might be something that you're overlooking. There might be flags that you don't see. This is why I have my other show, Love and Abuse. Go to loveandabuse.com. Um, I have all kinds of warning flags for relationships that 
aren't necessarily healthy for you. But um, this is why I do what I do. This is what I come on the air to do is to help you understand that what you fear may come true, but usually doesn't. And when you decide to step into that chasm, take that leap of faith, you're going to find out if you're right or wrong. The problem is anxiety continues if you believe you're right and never test it. And this is scary stuff. I know some people with they're, they're, they have crippling anxiety. I get it. So they never try anything. But the problem is crippling anxiety or any anxiety always stays until you test it. Like my friend and I, a long time ago, we walked into a restaurant and he said, I, I just feel like everyone's looking at me. And I didn't know too much about social anxiety back then. It was a long time ago. And I said, what are you talking about? And I felt okay. There were people in the restaurant. And I looked at my friend and he said, I, I just feel like they're looking at me. And I looked around and I said, no one's looking at you. <laughs> There's no one here looking at you. And he said, I know, but I just feel like they are. And he said, I like to sit against the wall so I know that there's nobody behind me and that I can see out into the room. And I know I'm resonating with people listening right now. There are people listening right now that say, yes, that's me. Or I do this very similar thing. I need to see everything. I need to see everyone. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I don't mind seeing who's walking in the door, especially nowadays. You just want to kind of watch your back by watching your front. But you know, I don't live every single moment in that kind of space. If it's available, if that kind of seat is available, I'll take it. But if it's not, this is a present moment thing. I'm just going to live in the present moment and hopefully everything goes well. But you can look at that as a test. Like what would happen if today I sat facing the wall? That might be scary to someone. That might be scary as heck. So this is where you test it and you find out. But yeah, I know you got to get to that part where uh, you test it. How do you get to that part where you test it, Paul? <laughs> what is the secret to that? When we come back, that's what we're going to talk about. How do you get to the place where you can feel comfortable taking the risk? We'll be right back after this. pour myself some iced tea before I do an episode. I need the energy. But today I decided to drink a bottle of Magic Mind before drinking my tea. And I think that was a mistake <laughs> because I wasn't in the mood for my tea afterward. That's a good thing actually because I tend to drink two or three glasses of tea and then later I'm really tired. When I drank the Magic Mind, I didn't need the boost that I'd normally get from my glasses of tea. I did get prolonged energy and clear thinking by drinking matcha tea. Matcha green tea is one of the ingredients of Magic Mind and is basically nature's extended release version of caffeine. That means I didn't get the quick boost then quick crash of regular tea. After drinking Magic Mind, I feel energized and ready to record everything I want to say without worrying about fizzling out halfway through. Magic Mind is made up of ingredients that slow your body's ability to absorb caffeine and even reduce stress and clear brain fog. And I'm sharing this tiny magical mixture with you because it's become my daily ritual. 
And if you're looking for something that makes you more productive and more focused, get yourself some Magic Mind. In fact, Magic Mind is running a 10-day special of 40% off applied to a subscription when you go to magicmind.co forward slash brain. Use the promo code BRAIN20, that's BRAIN20, when checking out. That's magicmind.co forward slash brain. Check out Magic Mind today. Welcome back. And I was talking about how you get to the part where you test it. For example, or at least the example I used was you normally sit facing everyone in a restaurant, but this time you're going to face the wall. How do you test that? How do you take that risk to build a reference to let you know that in the future you can do that again? This is just a minor example. This doesn't mean you have to change this particular behavior. You can change any behavior you'd like, but I just want to make sure that you aren't letting fear run your life. Like I said, it can involve a risk. The risk might be testing to find out if what you're making up in your mind is true, but it still feels like a risk. What are the chances that what you believe will come true, or at least perceive to be truth, what are the chances that it really is truth? You know, what you think is going to happen is going to happen. What are the chances that what you believe will come true? Wow. How do you figure that out? You got to try it. You got to try it. And that's the scary part. I'm not going to leave you hanging there because I'm going to conclude this by telling you how I finally leapt into that chasm. I finally chose to leap into that chasm by accepting the worst case scenario. You, If you've been listening a while, you know what I'm talking about. But the worst case scenario is allowing the bad stuff to happen to you. That's not all. <laughs> and that's not exactly what I mean. I'm not saying that you should want it and allow it. I'm saying that you're okay if it does. So this is where, this is a leap of, of faith in itself. This is a leap of faith into almost an enlightenment. What is the enlightenment? The enlightenment for me was understanding what the worst case scenario actually was in every situation. So like my my friend who has his back against the wall so he can see everyone. I might ask him, okay, how is it bad that everyone's looking at you? He's going to say, and I think he did say this, they're judging me. I know they're talking about me. And then I would ask, well, okay, how is it bad that they're judging you? And that's one of my favorite questions. How is it bad? Or how is it a problem? What's so bad about that? So this is where I drill in, drill down, and get to the worst case scenario. The worst case for him so far is they're judging me. And so I'm going to drill down even further. Okay, so they're judging you. How is that bad? Well, they're judging me and that makes me feel insecure. Okay, so you're insecure. How is that bad? Well, I'm insecure and that's bad because uh, I feel nervous. Okay, why are you nervous? Now I'm going to kind of take a sidestep here and figure this out. Well, I'm nervous because uh, they're judging me. <laughs> so he circled back. So now we're getting nowhere. So I, I have to drill even deeper. Okay, so they're judging you and you're nervous about it. How is that a problem? Now I'm trying to get underneath all the layers he's built up, the layers of protection or a buffer that he's built up that keeps him from understanding his 
darkest fears. And they may not be his darkest fears, but they're definitely deep. There's something underneath that. I mean, why is it a problem or how is it a problem that you're afraid? What are you afraid of? Let's figure that out. Well, I'm afraid, and he, he might circle around again, I'm afraid that they'll judge me. Okay, they're judging you. Okay, now they're in your face and they're judging you. What does that do inside you? Why are you so afraid of them judging you? What's going to happen? That's what I want to find out. What's going to happen if they do? Well, if they're judging me, then I, I, I won't feel liked. Okay, now we're getting a little bit deeper. We finally got under another layer, another protective barrier that he's placed between him and the world. Okay, so you're not liked. How is that a big deal? He might say, well, that's a stupid question. Everyone wants to be liked. Yeah, 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 it's a stupid question. <laughs> but why is it a big deal? How is it a big deal? Why is it important to you that uh, you're not liked or you are liked? Why is that a big deal for you? Do you want to be liked? Well, of course I do. Well, what if you aren't? Well, if I'm not liked, then, man, I won't be accepted in the world. I won't feel like I'm part of the world. I'll feel like an outsider. Okay, so being an outsider, how is that a problem? Well, I don't want to be an outsider. I want to be part of something bigger. I want to know that people accept me, that people love me. You can see another layer and another layer, acceptance and love. This might point to some self-worth issues or just the feeling of maybe being neglected when he was a child and he always wants to find people that accept him and love him and embrace him even or nurture him and just give him the connection and the support that maybe he didn't receive when he was younger. So, you know, this is an exercise, an example of how I might drill down with my friend and I didn't know these uh, skills back then, but... Uh, this is what I would do today if somebody was experiencing this. I would just drill in and drill down until we get to the point where the fear or the origin of what is causing this external behavior, social anxiety, for example, is revealed. Okay, so nobody loves you. How is that a big deal? What's the problem with that? Nobody loves me. That's just a, an awful feeling. Yeah, but how is it a problem? Well, if nobody loves me, then what's the point? What's the point of being here? See, now we're at a very, uh, I would say, primal place inside that he is connecting with a deep, deep fear of not being loved. And we're connecting with his reason for existence. And I like to look at every connection uh, to a reason of existence as a fear of death or fear of intense suffering at um, maybe the, the deepest level. And it's basically a fear of death or a fear of pain. Like if you are walking around with this external behavior like anxiety and you drill down into a place that's so deep and dark that it affects your very existence and the fact that why be here if you're not loved and uh, you decide that it's okay if you aren't, that changes things. And I'm not saying that you have to accept this. I'm not saying to go there at all. I'm not saying that <laughs> this is the answer. I'm saying there's a, a special thing that happens when you get to the deepest, darkest 
layer of fear or pain and you identify it and then you say, okay, maybe that's not a problem. I'm saying that something special happens when you say that's not a problem. What ends up happening is that what you once feared disappears or at least decreases significantly. What you once had a fear of, pain or death, can uh, decrease significantly or disappear because you finally identified your deepest, darkest fear. You finally um, got a hold of it. You finally said, this is it. This is why I have anxiety. Because deep down, I want to be part of something bigger. I want to be loved. I don't want to exist without these connections in my life, which is interesting and ironic because anxiety keeps us from connecting, doesn't it? Anxiety keeps us from uh, talking to people, meeting people, new people. And we keep the close people in our lives as close as possible because we can feel safe around them. But this is what happens is we'll do behaviors that uh, drive other people away when we want to be connected at at a bigger level. And there's a lot of complexities and uh, contrasts in our behavior when we do things that drive the thing that we want away. Some people with anxiety will say, but I don't want people in my life. I want to stay away from people. And yes, I get that. But is that completely accurate? Because in this scenario that it just unfolded, this example that I was talking about, my friend went to a place of wanting to feel loved, wanting to feel worthy, wanting to feel safe around others. Well, if you want to feel loved, that involves other people. Yes, we should love ourselves. That's I teach that. <laughs> yes, we definitely should. And we want to feel connected. We want to feel uh, like we matter to other people. We want to feel valid. We want to feel important. And so our own fears can keep us from feeling that. So we push other people away. And again, I'm just talking about anxiety. This is one of many, many dysfunctions or conditions that we can have that uh, we might need to drill into. So we drilled down into anxiety in this case and revealed something that helped my friend connect with the origin of his original fear. And I said, yes, it'll disappear or decrease. And I'm not saying that it happens every single time. Sometimes it goes deeper. But in many, many cases, in almost every case that I've done this with myself, that I've drilled down to find the origin of some fear or some belief that I have that wasn't serving me, I will find out that it was something that I didn't even realize. Hey, you're jealous. What does that mean? Oh, I'm afraid of death. (laughs) How did you get there? That's what people would ask. How did you get there? Well, why exist if I can't be loved? How about that? Well, still, how did you get there? It's because I drilled down into every single layer that was covering what I really feared. Okay, so you feared death, and this is the last part of this. Um, Where do you go from there? This is where you say, okay, what if you die? Yeah, that's a big question. What if you die? That would be terrible, right? I hope you say that would be terrible because, you know, it's nice to exist. It's nice to be here, but it's also nice to be loved and connected and supported and feeling important to other people. But what if you died? So this is uh, where it might get a little morbid, but I have come to accept that if I died, that's okay. 
I don't want to die. I want to be here as long as possible. I want to live a long, healthy life as, as much as I can. I'm going to be as healthy as I can for as long as I can. I don't want to die. But what if you did? Okay, now we're in the worst case scenario. Okay, if I died, I, I guess I wouldn't remember. <laughs> I wouldn't remember being here. I wouldn't remember what it was like because I would be dead. Unless you believe, you know, you go to heaven or you get reincarnated. Whatever your beliefs are, it doesn't matter because now you're no longer on this plane of existence. How is that a problem? <laughs> How is it a problem if you're dead? If this is triggering you, I'm sorry. If you don't agree with this, I apologize. You don't have to listen to me. You can tune out right now. I'm just trying to help you get past any fears and help you recognize that the origin of some of your fears don't necessarily equate to what you're actually thinking they are or what you're making up. Sometimes we make stuff up, well, often we make stuff up that may or may not happen, and we think it's about that. We think that we fear that happening when it really turns out that it's something very, very deep. And by drilling down and figuring out what it is, we can then get to the point where we can eliminate it. Eliminate the fear, I should say. Eliminate the fear of it happening. If everything I do leads to a fear of death, and I accept that death is part of the equation of life, I accept that death is part of the uh, natural process of life, then I'm okay. That means I can walk in feeling anxiety or, or whatever feeling I have, and then I ask myself, okay, let's just say that this was a, an actual fear of death. You know, I'm having anxiety, but this really means it's a fear of death. Can you be okay if death came? At first, I'm going to say, no, I don't want death to come. But let's just say that you had no choice. It's going to come, and there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, well that that's kind of sucky. <laughs> I guess I have to accept it. What does acceptance do? I mean, acceptance is taught in many practices, many religions. When you accept, what happens? You accept that you have no choice. You accept that it's going to happen regardless. You accept that there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And when that happens, you stop making stuff up. Now, this isn't necessarily, again, not the solution, but what this does is it changes your pattern of thinking. It changes the way you think. It changes your pattern of fear. I have this fear. Uh, I'm afraid that uh, so-and-so is going to run off with my best friend. Okay, so how is that a problem? You start drilling down, start drilling down. And there are some very real fears that come up. But what I like to do is not address everything in between. I like to address the origin. What is the origin? You bring it right back to the deepest fear that you have. Deepest fear of a lot of things is, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be unloved. I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of pain. And these are, again, these are legit. <laughs> these are absolutely legit, very real things that could happen. But let's just say that we decided to accept that that is a possible outcome. Okay, that's a possible outcome. Um, all right, there's nothing I can do about it, so that's all right then. I'll just accept that as a possible outcome. When you do that, what ends up happening is that you break apart the grasp on all these in-between thoughts and feelings and all the emotions that were buried in each layer until you get to the bottom. And when you do this, when you break this apart, they no longer have control of you. 
They no longer control your life. They no longer control your decisions. And you've thought of your issues, your challenges in an entirely different way. You go through life thinking of challenges in a different way. So this is how you get past some things in life. This isn't a resolution for everything. I mean, there are traumas from our past that we need to heal from, that we need to figure out how to get closure on, and we need to work through that stuff. Keep listening to this show. Read my articles at theoverwhelmedbrain.com, my podcast at uh, loveandabuse.com. I have a lot of resources that talk about getting to the root of issues. And when you do get to the root, at least you have something tangible to work with. At least it's on the table. Instead of saying something like, I'm depressed or I have anxiety. Those are such generalizations that are a huge umbrella term for what's really going on under all those layers. And when you get to the origin and you finally are able to understand what the deepest, darkest fear is, and you can say, well, I choose to accept that that could be a possible outcome. When you do that, you end up eliminating all the the grasp that each layer had on you. And your outlook changes, your perception changes, and you stop having so much fear. Is this perfect? No. Is this something that you have to work on? Yes. Is this something you have to test? Yes. (laughs) You have to test some of your fears. You have to test it to find out if what you're making up in your mind is true. It's like the story I told where my ex-girlfriend was driving with her friend and a car pulled up and uh, the car was looking at her friend. And her friend was a lesbian and she was getting uncomfortable and she said, I think they're looking at me because I'm a lesbian. (laughs) You know, she had a short haircut and she felt uh, like people were looking at her because of the way she dressed and the way she looked and she just felt insecure. And so my ex-girlfriend says, well, let's ask him. And her friend said, no, (laughs) let's not do that. Let's not face my fear. She didn't say those words, but you know what I mean? The the idea that we're going to talk to somebody who's looking at me, no. So she did anyway. My ex-girlfriend rolled down the passenger side window. I think it was electronic. And she called over to the people and she said, hey, uh, can I help you? And so the people looked back and they said, you look so familiar. And immediately, my ex-girlfriend's friend was embarrassed, and she realized that what she made up in her mind was just a fantasy. It was just wrong. But her fears and her insecurities were real, but they were based on a false premise. And that false premise was immediately squashed when my ex-girlfriend rolled down the window and asked that question. This is a test, right? This is how we test things. Hey, I noticed uh, you looking at me. Is everything okay? (laughs) Not that you'd say those words. You can say, hi. (laughs) You can say, hey, how's it going? And then somebody might say, wow, you look familiar. Or, wow, uh, I'm so glad that somebody is here to talk to me because I feel so anxious. (laughs) This is what I often find with uh, social anxiety especially, is that uh, people with social anxiety don't realize that a lot of other people in the room feel anxious too. And so when they walk in the room and they think they're the only one and they're being looked at, maybe people are looking at you to get some reassurance that they're not the only ones that feel anxiety. Maybe they are looking for a sense of connection. Maybe they're just afraid that other people are looking at them to judge them, to put them down, to 
think they're ugly, to think they're to this or to that. What if it's just other people feeling anxious too, looking around the room, making stuff up? (laughs) This is a very complex topic. I actually have an episode called the anxiety episode or, um, yeah, it's the anxiety episode when panic attacks. You can listen to that over at theoverwhelmedbrain.com and you can just type in the word anxiety and you'll find it in the search field. But this is it. This is the topic of the day. I'm so glad that you joined me today. When we come back, I'll say my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank the patrons this week, Victoria, Kayla, Andy, Christy, Walter. So good to see your names. Thank you so much for your financial support. These are the patrons that I read new names every week. They uh, join the patron program or were able to give monthly, like a donation or something like that. Uh, Thank you so much, patrons. And uh, I don't want to forget somebody who actually made a donation. Thank you, Cindy. I am very grateful. Cindy donated a generous amount. She said, thank you, Paul. I've really been enjoying the podcast. I really wish I could give back so much more. That's a lot, Cindy. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Take care and have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you so much. I am very grateful. I appreciate that. There are people that find value in the show, and they have the means to give, and that's what they choose to do. I never really asked for it. (laughs) They just started doing it, and they asked me how to... Uh, send me money. And I decided, okay, you know, if you want to do that, that's great. It's going to absolutely help me. And it really has. I mean, for many, many years, I have uh, found that their support has what has made this show continue. It has been the backbone, the financial support that keeps this show going. So this is why I have this system for those who have the means and want to give back. So thank you, each and every one of you patrons and people that donate. Thank you, Cindy. Very grateful. If you find value in the show and you have the means to give back, head over to moretob.com and you'll have some options there. And if you're looking for a show on how to deal with difficult relationships, you heard me say it earlier, loveandabuse.com. That's my other podcast I've been doing since uh, the beginning of 2019. And it is a, I think it's an important show. If you've had to deal with anyone that might be hurtful to you, controlling or manipulative, that is the show that helps you understand their behavior and also not counter it, but um, work with it and give the most empowering responses. Like I was saying at the very beginning of this episode, what can you do that will lead to the least amount of toxic or toxicity in your life? And that's what I talk about over there at loveandabuse.com. And I also mentioned at the very beginning, the intro of the show, that I created a program called Healed Being over at healedbeing.com. It's a very popular program. It's a very popular course that I created that contains many, many lessons. Uh, Each one, I think, is going to give you an aha moment. I I really do, because this is what happens. I hear feedback all the time. I have a feedback page or testimonials or what do I call it? I call it um, what other members are saying or what members are saying over at healedbeing.com. You'll see people writing that uh, they just learned so much and changed their behaviors And the program was originally created for emotionally abusive people that want to change. They learned that their behavior was bad and they want to change it. And they also care about the people that they've hurt. They want to stop hurting them. So that's why I created this program. 
and it is geared toward them, but really it's a perfect formula for how to show up as the best version of yourself in every relationship. I didn't realize that that's what I was writing at the time, but it really is. And even with a support system, like there's a private discussion group and a private Facebook group that nobody can see you're in. And uh, once you're a part of that, you have the support and you can ask questions and you can join conversations. And it's just a, a powerful, powerful program. Lives have changed. There are, quote, graduates of the program. It's not really a, a program that you graduate from, but you do when your life has changed. And a lot of people that take the program, their lives change. So you can read that feedback over at healedbeing.com. And just wanted to explain that or expand on that program a little bit because uh, some people may not think it applies to them, but it may. So if you're in that space or you want to check that out, again, healedbeing.com. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. I'm going to read you a couple of messages that I received uh, because I, I want their voice to be heard. I want them to know that I did receive their messages and it, it means a lot to me that they wrote this stuff to me. So I'm just going to read this and I might have a comment or two after I read them. So this person wrote... Thank you so much for sharing excellent, helpful, open, genuine content in an enjoyable format. During nearly two decades with an extremely abusive partner, I finally ended things in early 2021. Your shows about boundaries and consequences are extremely helpful, reinforcing my decision to get away. Last spring, he screamed that I'd need to fix myself because he couldn't help himself. <laughs> Getting away was the only answer. I love your programs, and I've been listening every day since discovering you a few weeks ago. I downloaded the Mean Workbook. Uh, she's talking about the workbook over at loveandabuse.com to prepare for my next relationship. Thank you again for sharing so much helpful information in a pleasant manner. You're amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I wanted to comment on this. Today's episode is about boundaries and consequences. <laughs> so this is very relevant to today's episode. And... Thank you for writing that. Thank you for saying these words. You did the work. I just opened the door and said, hey, walk this way <laughs> or walk this way or walk this way. And you chose a path. And that's what it takes. You have to choose a path. And this is the leap of faith I was talking about earlier. Sometimes you leap into a chasm of nothingness. You have no idea where it's going to lead. And if you just say, I don't care where it leads, I'm going to take those steps because I have to get away from this situation, then you get to learn what uh, happens. <laughs> you get to learn what the consequences are. Don't make up the consequences and then believe what the consequences are going to be unless there's a lot of danger. Again, you have to think wisely, but don't just make something up and say, well, that's what's going to happen because that's not always what's going to happen. Or if you do make something up because you believe it has a great chance of it happening, then you still have to make a decision based on what you fear. I think what ends up happening, well, I know what ends up happening is that we end up in a rut thinking, well, I can't do that because I'm afraid to do that, so I'll just stay in this rut. No, make a different decision. <laughs> do something else. Make a different decision. Okay, you're not going to go in that direction, so go in a different direction. But I, I don't want to do that either because I'm afraid of that. Or I don't want to do that because I don't have the resources, I don't have the means. Well, what's going to happen if you don't have the resources? What's going to happen if you don't have the means? Well, I need to live. I need to eat. I know. These are real fears. But what if you accept that uh, that's okay? That's bad advice. <laughs> it's bad advice, Paul. I don't want to take that advice. 
it might not be okay. You're right. But you have to look at your situation now and ask yourself, is this what I want forever? That's a deep question, isn't it? Is this what I want forever? Of course not. Well, then I would ask you the question, what if it never changes? What if I promised you it would never, ever change? What are you going to do about it? Oh, now I have to face reality. I have to make a decision. This is how you get out of the rut, by the way, by asking yourself, what if it never, ever changes? What am I going to do then? Am I going to stay? Oh, I can't stay in this situation. It's just terrible. Then what are you going to do? I'm not saying the answers are easy. I'm not saying that they make sense. I'm just saying that you may not like a situation that you're in and you have to make another decision. So what are you going to do? You just have to ask yourself, okay, what if I promise you that this never changes? What are you going to do then? This is making a decision where you have no choice but to make the decision. I'm not saying you should get out of the rut. If you are comfortable in the rut, that's fine. But if you want to get out of the rut, then ask yourself that question. What would happen if this never, ever changes? What would happen if this is the way it was going to be forever? That puts a new light on it, a new perspective, and it stops you from waiting for something that may never happen. Well, maybe they'll change. Maybe the job will get better. Maybe I'll start making money in 10 years. You know, there's a lot of questions, and I'm not saying that any of them are right or wrong to ask yourself. I'm just saying... Just ask yourself the only question that I think is important, which is, okay, what would happen if this never, ever changes? What would I do then? So that kind of led to a different conversation, but I wanted to thank this person that wrote this uh, first one, and I'm going to read you a second one. This person wrote, Dear Paul, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for discussing my email on your podcast this week, The Obligations and Responsibilities That Exhaust Us. Okay, this was last week's episode, so this is very fresh. It's a jaw-dropping moment. Your take on it was spot on with the guilt as a driver. Your suggestions were refreshing. It made sense. Your words have echoed in my thoughts. I've been much more grounded during the past week, so I've uh, finished it in much better shape. I also value the thoughts that you share from your own experiences. I feel privileged that you have looked at my situation, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I will continue to work with you on moving forward to a better place. You are so helpful. My very best wishes. Thank you so much for that. Um, I forgot I had this uh, message to read to you. Not only did I read your email last week, but I read your response to the episode this week. Look at that. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing this. And yes, uh, last week's episode, there were a few people that reached out and said, wow, that's it. That was a great episode. That's what I needed. I think it was about um, dealing with all these challenges, like different people in your lives pulling you in different directions. You've got a mom here and a dad over there and a child over here and somebody else putting you down and making your life difficult. You're just being pulled in all these directions. How do you get out of that? What's the most empowering steps to take? Some of those are very, very difficult. I just read an email that um, off the air I, I was going to read today, but Some of these situations are very challenging. Some of them are really hard to figure out the best way out because sometimes there is no best way out. Sometimes, again, it's a leap of faith. Sometimes you just have to step in the direction that maybe you don't really want to step into because you don't know what's going to happen or you've made something up that you think is going to happen so you don't do it. And so what ends up happening is like a dog on a stake that keeps going around and around in a circle. They dig a rut. 
They dig a path, and that path gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's very clearly defined, and it's a lot easier to travel the path than to step out of it. And this is what we do in our brains. We make a rut. We keep traveling that same rut. We don't make any other decisions for our life, and we keep going in the same direction because we don't want to make waves or we're afraid that somebody might say something or somebody might do something or we're going to be in a bad situation if we do that. And again, I'm not saying that it it won't happen or it will happen. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. But we do know that if we do nothing, nothing changes. And that's where we might need to make a different decision. If you don't like the rut you're in, make a different decision. Period. That's it. If you don't like the rut you're in, make a different decision. It's not easy. I'm not ready. I know. You might have to prepare for it. You might have to plan for it. You might have to just start thinking about it. And thinking about it starts a new path out of the rut. And I don't mean worrying about it and fearing it. I mean taking actual steps in your mind. What steps will I take to get out of this rut? Or at least planning the thought of starting to take the first step out of the rut and then um, watch those scenarios play out in your head. But don't make up too much in your mind that says, if I take these steps, this will definitely happen. They may happen and they may not. We don't know. But that's where the risk comes in and accepting the consequences for taking steps that are risky. And when we accept that, yeah, the, the worst case scenario could unfold, that just gives us a little bit more uh, juice, a little bit more confidence to take steps that uh, we might be afraid to take. So we have to plan carefully sometimes. We have to understand that, yes, there will be consequences. There's always a consequence. Always there's a consequence for staying in a bad situation. There's a consequence for leaving a bad situation. But what are you going to prefer most? Are you going to prefer leaving things the way they are, or would you like to see a change? Because if your uh, preference is the latter, where you'd like to see a change, that absolutely involves taking a different route, a different path out, getting out of that rut. I want you to feel so comfortable about getting out of ruts that uh, it's easy to do. That's what I want for you. You might have to take the first step. (laughs) If it's not easy right now, it does get easier. It doesn't mean it gets easier and easier every time. It just means you have the confidence to do it. You have the confidence to take risks. And you realize after you do it many times that you'll live and you'll be okay. And things are getting better and life gets better. I know some of this is wishful thinking. (laughs) I know some of this, you may think Paul is really Pollyanna and you, you just see life as positive. No, I don't. I see life as real. I see life as challenging. I see life as rewarding. I see it all the above. I see everything is possible. Anything is possible. Not just the bad stuff. That's just uh, maybe my optimistic and pessimistic sides um, cooperating. (laughs) So my skepticism and my confidence uh, getting along so that I can feel good taking the next step in life wherever it takes me. You may not know where the next step takes you, but sometimes you just have to take it to find out. And if you're worried about it, just let me remind you, keep an open mind. (laughs) This is how you step into your power, and this helps you be firm in your decisions and actions. 
so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.